Hey guys, welcome to The Lawyer's Daughter. I apologize for being a little late this week. I have had, I have good news, which is good for me, is I'm finally working. I mean, I'm working at a rate that um, I may start to get out of arrears. I'm so excited. It's weird to be this busy again, uh, especially in a pandemic world where I still don't leave the house. It's so funny. My roommate, Sandra, left for the week to go be with her mom. It's birthday series at their house and I'm by myself and it's so I'm so by myself is all I can say. It's hard to work from home and know that you're not leaving at the end of the day or there's not a thing that's gonna, not gonna go have dinner with anybody or happy hour, my favorite, uh, margaritas and chips and salsa. That's not happening. So, but the good news is, is I am busy and working and, and, and the great news about the vaccine is out there that we're gonna have so much vaccine very soon. So I hope if you haven't already gotten your Fauci ouchie, I hope that that is in your future. It is not, I haven't gotten mine yet, but uh, my roommate has, my mom has. Um, most of my older friends that I care about have gotten their vaccine and I, it's amazing. And I'm sure you feel this, it's amazing, the relief. Like just to know, okay, they're not gonna die from that BS. Like, thank God, they might end up getting sick or whatever, but they'll bounce and that's huge. So um, here's to everybody getting their vaccine. I'm so excited. And if you aren't gonna get the vaccine because of non-health related reasons, I need to talk to you behind camera number three. Uh, that's what John Stewart always did. Remember, he's like, see me at camera number three. Okay, guys, this vaccine is important. And I, I know it's become political, but I don't know why, because our health is everything. Without your health, kind of nothing else matters. I mean, it is truly the, the um, bipolar part of life is if you don't have your health, you don't protect your health, however that is for you, uh, there's no point in doing anything else. Why work? Why do all of the things that we do so that we can live? So I, I, I'll turn off camera number three and come back to everybody else. But please go get your vaccines because I, I can't afford to lose any followers. Let's just be, let's just be honest. I'll just make it about me. Okay, so I had had a big podcast planned for today, but things went wrong in a cascading fashion, and so I need to catch up and pivot. And there was a, a podcast I was going to do, but it was an interview, but. Um, the person I was going to interview has decided to postpone for a while. I get it. it makes sense. You got to do what you got to do to take care of yourself. Then I was going to do one on a local case here. Um, it's probably going to be a two-parter, but it turns out extremely painful for me to do because I was involved in this case. So I'm going to work on that this weekend and hopefully next week I'll have that podcast for you. It'll, it'll be a two-parter. So I'll start off with kind of the background and then go into what's going on. So that's that's what's in the hopper. I know I still need to talk to Carol, to Carol Daly, and there's some other things I want to do about the NorCal Rape Fest. And then I do need to drag Deep Throat out and talk a little bit about some other antics of D'Angelo's. Not antics, that's a terrible word. That makes it sound like he's playful and fun. They're not antics. More BS from D'Angelo. So I'll get that for you. And then I think uh, as soon as this pandemic eases up a little bit, I cannot wait to get to Ventura because, guys, Cheryl... Temple is waiting for me down there with a bevy of information that I have access to now. I hope, I don't think I'm going to have to file a FOIA request, um, but my friend of intern knows if I need help, I'll ask her. Uh, but I'm hoping that I can get everything that Cheryl has, including all those in, uh, business dealings my dad was involved in. I, uh, Cheryl said she has, because it was part of the investigation, she has notes. So I'm hoping I can get all of that. And that will be fascinating might have to hold that for a book. I keep threatening, but it's not going to happen. I, now that I'm busy and getting paid, that's my top priority. 
Okay, so I'm going to do today's podcast is going to be something a little bit different. It's based on um, what I studied in school, but I think it's really important because I, I think it actually uh, really relates to the, a common mistake many of us make. And and as we talk about it, you might start to be aware. And that's my goal here is to just give you some awareness because this is something that we all do. It's absolutely something I studied in uh, rhetoric. Rhetoric was the word that we used for mass comm at UC Davis, but I studied it in rhetoric and then went on to study it more at Sac State when I was working on my master's degree because I love communication. Obviously, it's it's uh, something I care very much about. So it's you got to go back with me, man. We are in the early 80s. I'm at UC Davis. I had spent one semester at USC. Hated it. I can't even describe too much how much I hated USC learned some things down there that I would never have been exposed to otherwise, but oh my God, I hated USC. It was just really, really affluent or um, it was a lot of kids who had gotten scholarships um, or, you know, work study, all those kind of things, but it was super stratified. That's what I hated is there was no place for people kind of in the middle, which is what UC Davis was all about. UC Davis is like the home of the middle. It couldn't be, I mean, there's a lot of kids there that are not from the middle but it didn't feel um, stratified. Like I, I made friends with everybody. It didn't matter to me. It was very much more like what I was just used to in California at Davis. So we're in, uh, you're in upper division classes at this point. You've been to school for two years and I lived in the dorms and I'm studying communications. And we had this professor, son of Frank, who was that guy, you know, the professor that was like too cool for school and put his leg up on the desk as he talked to us because you know, we were he probably was definitely a child of the 60s i wasn't i was born in the 60s but pff, i'm gen x man i didn't know about all this hippie stuff i just thought it was um entertainment a thing that we all watched over there was the hippie stuff because i was too young to participate in that so son of frank taught i i want to say it was personal communication i don't have um my old college catalog and if you do I'm going to have to talk to you about that. But um, I've, if I go back, I think it must have been personal communication because there are two theories that I remember specifically from this class. And this is not the one we'll talk about today, but I'm still going to talk about. The first one was attractiveness theory. Now, this one's always mesmerized me because I knew I'm a bright woman. I'm not bad looking. I'm not great looking, but I'm not bad looking. But I've been this overweight my whole life. Like, just my dad put me on Weight Watchers at age 11, like all my life. And the irony is, of course, I have my dad's body. So I've always been short and squat. That's just been me. So I struggled with, I didn't attract people. People were not attracted to me. I mean, romantically, let's be clear. I have friends and everything. I have rich, deep, beautiful relationships, but I just wasn't attracting romantic interest. I never did. So when attractiveness theory came up, you bet I was looking for an intellectual construct to solve the problem. So the first theory we learned about that I still remember today was attractiveness theory. Now I've looked, attractiveness theory has changed a lot since the early 80s. Mind you, this is just when these studies were beginning. We were starting to do a lot of sociological, anthropolo anthropological studies about Americans and our culture and the change because we had just been through, if you think about it, Technology is starting to speed up. The industrial revolution has happened. Things are starting to change a lot faster. And as individual Americans, we're starting to have 
a bit more control. Things have happened that give us a little bit more spare time. This will kick us in the ass in 40 years. But at the time, if you think about it, it's the time of it's, it, TV dinners have been out. Um, we've, we've, we've got cars now, so you don't have to get your horse and buggy to travel. You have washing machines, um, dryers, vacuums, all kinds of things that are giving the illusion of us getting our time back. A lot of people are becoming slowly but surely becoming knowledge workers. It's just the beginning of the knowledge worker um, boom, but it's just starting at that time. So these theories were def definitely in their infancy, especially now that I'm looking at it, you know, some 40 years later. So the attractiveness theory said, and this is why I thought it was such a cool rational thing. Attractiveness theory said that we base who we're attracted to kind of almost like a points system. So um, I, 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 can, I go on a lot about deal a meal. I don't know if you guys remember Richard Simmons. Oh my God, this is like an old timey podcast now for all you people that are um, old. I don't know what else to say. When did I get old? When did that happen? It's like Katie grew up and all of a sudden I'm on the other side. Oh, it's old. I'm on the old side. Thank you. That happened. Okay. So Way, way back in the olden days, there was this guy named Richard Simmons, and you can still Google him and find out about him, but he was on General Hospital. And as you know, General Hospital already affected that I did my name change because they had a Jennifer Smith who was very bad. And I don't want to be another Jennifer Smith there a dime a dozen. So General Hospital, that was the Luke and Laura days, guys. It was a big deal. There was a lot happening around General Hospital back then. Anyway, Richard Simmons was the... Um, he ran something called the Anatomy Asylum. God, I'm really wandering here, but eh, whatever. Here, here you go. The Anatomy Asylum was his exercise studio. It was in Beverly Hills. Now, I mentioned I went to USC. Who knew that was why it was going to be relevant? I was at USC that fall. It's the fall of 1980. 1980, right? It's after the murder in 19, spring of 1980. I go to USC first. That's the first school I go to. I don't know that I'm like nutsy cuckoo. I'm having serious migraines at USC. And so I'm thinking it's a diet issue, right? Because that's what I've been told my whole life. I need to diet, diet, diet. And I'm just, you know, bad. My food, everything about me is bad in terms of diet and food. So I'm living in that world. So I think I'm going to go try to go to anatomy asylum. This is still not to the deal and meal part, but I'm getting there. Um, so I do go over to Richard Simmons Anatomy Asylum in Beverly Hills, which from USC, it's about 15 mile drive, but it could take you two hours in Los Angeles, but not back then, 40 years ago. So I go and I get to exercise next to Jackie Zeman, nurse Bobby Spencer, and Alan Quartermain, Stuart Damon at the time. I think he's still Stuart Damon. I believe he was Alan Quartermain at the time. I'll get that straight. Anyway, they're both young because it's a long time ago. And it was so cool to be exercising next to these guys. Now, Richard Simmons, he would get in your face. Like, I remember because I wasn't a good exerciser and this body likes to roll much more than rock. And so I, he was like in my face yelling at me, but it was still cool because it was, you know, TV star Richard Simmons from the show General Hospital. So a couple, about maybe two, 20 years later, Richard comes out with this cool um, deal a meal thing. What he's done is essentially kind of what Weight Watchers ended up doing too, which is essentially you have a deck of cards and for any day you get a certain amount of cards. Just, I always say points, but you just get a certain amount of points for your day. And you can choose to spend those however you'd like. I'm going to have to go back and remember why deal a meal was important to this rambling. Anyway, uh, the deal a meal. Oh, because it goes with attractiveness theory. Same concept. Okay. 
So deal a meal is that if you think, let's just say you have 10 points in a day. If you know that night you're going out with friends, you're going to probably save maybe eight of your points for that night. Just think of them as they're a unit of measure. You can make the measure whatever you'd like it to be, but just think you have eight that you want to save for night because you know you're going to have a big night and you'll use two during the day because you're going to calibrate. I use this with Rated and Katie. I knew Katie only had so many energy points in a day. So if I was stupid enough to do something high energy with her in the morning and try again at night, it was not going to go well because I'd spent all of her points. All right. So this, so now, there, okay, jump. We're going to go all the way ahead now to college where attractiveness theory works similarly on points. And again, I'm sure this theory is old, but I'm just telling this one for fun. So attractiveness theory says you get certain points for certain traits. Now, what's really important is this skewed heavily male. And here's why. So the way attractiveness theory, as I learned it, worked is that you would get points for how you looked. So let's say, you know, people are always saying, is that a 10? She's a seven. She's five. He's a six. He's a 12. In fact, back then it was much more sexist. It was usually always about women, but you'd get points for just your physical appearance. But attractiveness theory said you also get points for other things like how much money you make how much property you own. Those things that start to round out the picture of who you are that make you attractive. The part I remember so distinctively is that this was generally about men because men were at that point in 1980, let's say it was 83 probably. In 1983, still the women's lib movement was on. Um, girl power, women power was happening, but we hadn't amassed the things that we needed to make us attractive, right? Having, I mean, women had just gotten right to have a credit card, I think in 1976. I mean, it's ghastly, ladies and gentlemen. What we did and how we had suppressed women's ability to have their own agency was incredible. So when you get to attractive theory in 1983, we're really talking about the things that make unattractive men more attractive, which by the way, becomes an American trope, which is uh, sugar daddies with their hot mamas, right? They go dump their first wives and get their second wives. That becomes like an American trope. Well, I always struggled against attractiveness theory because as I grew up and did well and earned money and bought my house and, you know, started to have assets. And my mom, who still thought I never could save a dime, is shocked that I saved in my 401k. Yeah, I did all those things. Sure, I'm cash for it right now. I can't afford anything right now, but I did all the right things, but it never boosted my attractiveness. And there you go is the story of attractiveness theory because that's just um, that's just the beauty of of uh, a long time ago. But the reason is the discussion about attractiveness theory is important or relevant today, not only because Mr. Son of Frank taught it to us like a cool dude, but he also then talked to us about the thing I do want to talk about today, which is the halo effect. So the halo effect is a is a powerful powerful thing that we do. We can't help it, but we do it. I'm going to have to go blow my nose because that's what I need to do right now. So deposit. Okay. Okay. No boogies. All right. Um, so attractive, uh, so halo effect is something we all do. And it's, it, it's, it's like part of who we are as a culture. And I think this happens among all humans. And if you think about it, it has a real adaptive purpose. If you consider what it was, why we had it to begin with. So the halo effect essentially says that you by the very nature of seeing something familiar in someone else, we bestow upon them the traits of that familiarity. So you'll say this all the time. Oh my God, Karen totally reminds me of Alice. 
because I picked some really plain names there. But what you're doing is that Karen, you, know, you have bestowed upon Karen those traits that you love about Alice. You, Karen hasn't demonstrated those traits, at least typically not overtly, but there's something about your intuition, your sense that says Karen is a lot like Alice. Now, this is important because now you've just granted Karen a ton of new permissions in terms of your safety, your own intuition, your judgment. You have now given her a halo when in fact she has not earned it. And when it comes to being out in a world where some of the people we know out there are predators, the halo effect can really disrupt our intuition. And the thing I care about most for all of us, anybody listening, is to listen to your intuition. It's there to protect you. And typically anyone who has suffered trauma or has been through something difficult, our intuition can be a little bit wonky. It's either gotten way better or you're, mis you're not trusting yourself see self-gaslighting in the last episode of this podcast. It's very common not to trust yourself. So we rely on things like the halo effect. Now the halo effect, like I said, it can let people into your lives based on assumptions that are not founded. And once those assumptions are in place, you, do, it's, you have to actually have intention and be conscious to go and question those assumptions. So um, for example, if you decide, okay, so Karen's just like Alice, so Karen must love to go out for cocktails at six o'clock and have drinks. Well, it turns out Karen does, but Karen wants to do it for a completely different reason than you think. It's not because she has fun with her friends. Karen has a drinking problem, but you aren't going to know that because you're thinking she's like Alice. So this happens a lot with predators and especially as women judge men is that we were again I said this is adaptive right because in the old 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 long time ago when we're basically mammals we have to decide friend or foe friend or foe that's just something we're all doing all the time and generally we can let our guard down a little bit because we know most people aren't foes but there are foes out there well you can see how the halo effect then helped you say okay broadly this person's like that person I'm going to trust them very adaptive very adaptive until it isn't, until we start to ascribe traits to someone that are not true. So it's okay to say, oh, they seem like a nice person. Karen does seem like Alice. I mean, she seems nice. That's good. Stop right there. Now go find out why you think she's nice. Do not let the halo effect keep you blind to the additional investigation you need to do. I'm not talking about being paranoid. I'm not talking about you overjudging everyone, but it is incredibly important, especially if you've not trusted your intuition to know and be aware of the halo effect because we do use it all the time. And it's a really important concept to teach your kids because again, they have even less criteria to screen people, right? I mean, we make this horrible dichotomy for them of stranger danger and friends of the family. And of course, I know most of you listening know friends of the families are the ones that are often doing most of the harm. I'll just say it, uh, sexual assault, all the other gross things that happen, it is often linked to friends of the family. So this stranger danger thing, that dichotomy is nuts. So teaching your kids about the halo effect is not a bad thing. Where you say, you like them, why do you like them? It, and as a parent, you can just start to probe a little bit. And as they, as your kid is able to tell you more traits about why they like a person, the more you're combating the halo effect, which is good, which is healthy, because that means then 
we're starting to evaluate people based on who they are and most importantly, their behavior and what they've done. I mean, if, if I, I, I talk about this often, but if there's anything, and, and there's a reason Rachel Maddow says it every night, it's, it's what they do, not what they say. It's the same thing with just the people around us. It is what they do and not what they say. So as you're teaching your kid, you wouldn't necessarily say, hey kid, this is the halo effect, but you could say, oh, why do you like that child? And they say, it's just like, he's just like Billy. You go, tell me how he's like Billy. That's your job. That's your opportunity to talk to your kids about that. Talk to your teenagers about that. Halo effect comes in huge in the teenage years because it's all peer driven at that point. They're starting to get separate from you. You become less trusted. You're trusted in their heart, but you're not necessarily trusted in your advice, right? You can become less trusted during those years. And then it's very good to help with your with your girlfriends and your boyfriends, the people out there, the people you support, your family members. We see it happening in politics and it's going to be hard to combat because that is where the halo effect has actually almost mutated. And I'm sure there's another name for that. I believe we're calling it cult behavior. But, but you can see if you step back and start to look at people for who they are, which is so important, and start to call out and help the, your friends and the people you love notice people. Um, let's see. Notice those traits in people that make them like them. Just get folks to say more words about it. In fact, you can do it for yourself. If you just come away from me and go, I really like that person, just while you're driving home or uh, hanging up the Zoom because nobody goes anywhere anymore, think about why it is you like them and really discern which traits you're assigning to them because they reminded you of someone else or that you see them demonstrating those traits right there in front of you. That's really where you want to create that line. So um, there I go. The halo effect from calm studies in 1982, 83, but good stuff because it's in play today. And, it, and go Google more about this. I think it's, um, I think it'll possibly open your eyes to some of the behaviors you've had where sometimes you go, why do I always pick the wrong people? Possibly you're using the halo effect to grant them uh, credits and grace that they have not earned, but that's all on you. This is all on you. It's not about them at all. It's about how your brain overrides your intuition and your judgment and makes you go fast because in the old days we had to cope, but now you have time. Now it's worth it. Make sure that you can identify really what you like about a person and you can and you can tie those to their behaviors so you know it's not just words. And hopefully that keeps us all just a little bit safer. Okay, so short podcast, fun podcast, but I wanted to get out to you guys and let you know what's going on. Um, I, like I said, haven't got my Fauci ouchie yet, but hopefully that's soon. We're just waiting for more vaccines to get to California. And I, um, I, I hope you all go out and get your vaccines. It's so exciting. I guess I want to just get back out with people again. I'm so ready to get out of the house and just is drink. Is that really what I'm going to say? I can't wait to get out of the house and just share good times, even Starbucks, even going to work at Starbucks. Oh my God. I miss that so much. All right. Have a great week and I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to The Lawyer's Daughter. I really do appreciate it. Venture Highway.